Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One, two, one, two. Lovely. Hello, hello. So do you want to set the scene and tell everyone where we are? Not postcode and address, but no, it's all right. the yeah, surroundings. Yeah, it's top secret, yeah. <laughs> um, well, here we are at the Treehouse, which is my kind of home studio. It's where I do um, kind of most of the feeder stuff. I did a lot of my solo record here. Just a really good space. Um, great for doing vocals, keyboards, you know, guitars. Um, I can't do drums here. I probably could. But you'd be but out on your. I think the neighbours might just yeah. put, it might just be one step too far. <laughs> Although they are, you know, they are pretty good actually, and it's it's it is actually reasonably well soundproofed. Um, and I don't use it all the time. I have periods where I'm in here all the time, and then and then and then obviously you know I'm away touring and doing stuff like that, so it doesn't get used all the time. But it's been a really great space. Um, it just shows you don't need to be in these big expensive studios. To, you know to get the results you know with technology as it is nowadays so as long as you've got uh, i think you just have to be careful what gear you pick you know if you haven't got a massive space you need to make sure you've got some of the key things like you know i've got a wood which is really important to me to have I mean, and I've, got, I've got i've got a, yeah i've got a rose piano i've got ac30 you know i've got a marshall head there's normally a fender um deville that lives under there but that's actually in our rehearsal room as you can see quite a selection of um guitars that tend to sort of is Fender your go-to make? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sort of known. My signature guitars are Fender Jazzmaster. That's what everyone knows me for. I've got a few. I've got a few kind of hybrid Frankenstein ones, as I call them. That are kind of a <laughs> mixture of 
Firebird Stroke sort of Jazz Masters, which is the one I've got on the singles album there. You can see on the wall on that picture where I'm jumping. What's this guy here? This looks like an Oscar statue. Yeah, it's not mine, unfortunately. What, whose is it? Is it a real I don't one? Know. I think it was just some prop that was bought for, oh, right, my, right. Um, yeah, for my missus when she was doing acting. I think someone bought it for a, some, some, some part shit. She's part an actress, shit, is she? She used to be, yeah. Right, right. I mean, that, you know, but she gave up like many years ago. But How she did was, you two meet? Um, uh, we met a long time ago, actually. I, I was working in a recording studio. Um, over in Queen's Park. This is, you know, obviously, you know, before feeder. And uh, I just went out one night with a lot of friends from Wales, ended up in Chinatown, and that's where we met. Wow. How romantic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you've been together ever since. You've got We've kids? been together ever since. Yeah, we, you know, we had a few little, um, you know, just, just, you know, obviously the band got busy, so we had a little um, a little moment where we weren't together, but it was only for, a, you know, six months or something. But otherwise, we've been together for before feeder, which is, you know, quite incredible, really, for someone in the music business. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on a break at the moment from my girlfriend, and it's rough, man. I don't really know where it's going to go. I'm meeting her tonight. Have, have you been with her for a while? Three years, which okay. is long for me. Is it? And, yeah, okay. it's my longest relationship yet. Well, I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah, I mean, I've ended up obviously getting married. I've got two kids now. Um, I didn't get married until, in fact, it was our wedding anniversary yesterday. So seven nice. years ago, so it's flown by. And obviously, I had kids. You know, we did it all, all back to front. But, um, you know, it's when the kids start asking questions, saying, hey, mum and dad, you know, why aren't you married? And so it felt like it was So did time. they take your surname, but she didn't have yours? So was that confusing for them? Or? <laughs> no, we've kept uh, we, we kept both. So it's kind of Morishita and Nicholas, which is right, quite right, nice. Right, right, uh, so right. It's, you know, it's nice to keep the Japanese thing there for them as well. Oh, that's uh, where yeah, your wife's from, yeah, Japan. Jap- yeah, yeah, yeah. My kids are half Japanese, so. Do they speak both Japanese really, and English? No, no, we tried that. My wife's English is too good. She came here when she was ten. Right. I mean, she can speak Japanese as well, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they do speak a little bit. You know, you only understand a bit. You know, it's my you know dream to have, to be completely fluent in both. But to do that, um, kind of would would, would, would would you know have to speak to them all the time in Japanese, and I talk to them in English. So that's the way you do it. Yeah. And I just think it, we did try. I know Taka had the same thing with his kids, who, you know, obviously half Japanese. And I think he tried, but it was a similar thing. I think his kids had <laughs> good intentions. Little, but yeah, it is. is. I mean, I kind of wish we had, but, you know, but I think they would pick it up like very quickly if they really, you know, if they decided to move there or whatever it was. So do you go over there regularly? I wouldn't say regularly. I go there probably with a band more. I've never been. And it's, it's in my top three places. It's it just looks like place. a alien world, really. It's Culturally, incredible. It is. It's, it's like, you know, Tokyo is like sort of like Blade Runner. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. It's, I, it's, it's. I mean, Tokyo's a real party city. It's in. It's full on. I is mean, it expensive? I've heard it's it really beats expensive. you up because right. you have late nights, <laughs> karaoke bars. That's what they like over there, isn't it? Well, they do. Or is that I mean, more yeah, the tourist yeah, thing? Well, no. I mean, it's. I mean, I've only ever been. I mean, I'm. I'm not really a big fan of karaoke, but it's. Um, I think if you're a singer, it's probably like the worst nightmare. <laughs> I used to do. I used to be really good. You're a singer. No, I'm really drunk. Um, it's. It's just an amazing place. I mean, sort of real sort of culture shock. You know, I remember going there the first time here before, you know, I went there with the band. I went to Canada's like hometown. And uh, and then I don't think there were so many Western people there apart from the odd sort of guy teaching English or something. So I kind of, there was people kind of staring at me on it because you know, it was quite, you know, there wasn't so many people like sort of me turning up, you know, this sort yeah. of scruffy looking indie guy with sort of long hair and, you know. Um, but things have changed quite a bit now. There's a lot more Westerners there. Um, and Tokyo is very much, you know, it's a bit more. What's the? I, I don't know if cosmopolitan is the right word, but it's it's it kind of takes a lot from places like obviously New York and London as well. So it's sort of it's probably a little bit more Western influence than some other parts of Japan. But you know, it's definitely worth going. 
and uh, if you do go try and travel around a bit go to uh, Kyoto where all temples are it's absolutely absolutely beautiful um, Fukuoka is really nice you have to be careful how you say that that's where <laughs> that's where my wife's from that's a really nice little city like really good food um, Osaka's nice quite young lots of you know good for clothes and lots of marketplaces the food looks like it's to die for I mean I'm a big yeah. fish guy I don't eat meat I gave up meat about a year okay. ago oh well, you'll be fine so I mean, I'm still I, a, but I'm still a fish guy I do like meat as well but I, I don't uh, probably eat more fish than meat but I you know I mean Japan's got everything you know you can pretty much find you know it may maybe not the best place if you're vegan mm-hmm. but um, yeah, yeah, you yeah, probably yeah, have to yeah. be careful Just what's rice. in there because even a vegetarian <laughs> dish might seem like but I'm sure they probably use some like chicken stock in there or yeah, something yeah, yeah. you know so you probably have to make sure you go to a specialist place but um no, it's absolutely amazing place, um, and I'm going there again uh, to do six shows with Fida in um, end of November. Nice. So I'm quite looking forward to that. I mean, do you feel rejuvenated because you obviously had a little bit of time out from Fida, didn't you? Yeah. Around two, was it two years ago, three years ago? Yeah, I mean, it, took, it was almost it ended up being almost four years out of it, okay. which is a, seems a hell of a long time. But it flew by because I was you know pretty busy doing the solo stuff. It wasn't, it was never meant to be a solo record. I was I was just going to take some time out. I just felt we just needed to sort of just have a little break because just just to break that cycle, and just kind of plan what was next for Fida. There was never any plans yet to stop. You know, I never wanted to give up being a feeder if anybody thought that. It was just that I felt I just needed to spend a bit more time at home and sort of, I just felt, you know, we needed to sort of break that kind of... The cycle. That, yeah, the kind of cycle we were on. And I felt like we were always there. And, you know, sometimes if you go away, people actually miss you a bit more and you miss what, you know, what you do a bit more. And I think that's what's kind of happened for us a little bit. Um, and miss playing those songs live and yeah I think doing this other thing like filled that hole if I wasn't doing that I would have gone completely cuckoo the what do you record- do when you're not doing music uh, I do How music do you- that's it you're one of those guys <laughs> uh, I do a lot of music I mean no, obviously I'm a family man so I do you know spend some time with the kids but um, it's, it's hard to switch off from music because it's kind of it's a it's a career it's a, well, it's yeah, a life it's, it's a lifestyle it's a it yeah. is a lifestyle and it's it's also something which I love doing so it's kind of you know, I don't listen to music as much. People people go, oh, what band do you listen to? It's like, well, if you're spending all day doing your own stuff, you don't always want to go into the kitchen and suddenly listen to like 10 albums. I haven't got the energy. I find yeah. it draining. And if it I'm, fucks with your head if you're writing, I imagine. It can do. It can be good sometimes. I mean, I find when I'm traveling or I go away, if I'm driving around the place, that's why I listen to a lot of music. I just feel as though when I'm being like, doing the feeder stuff unless I'm using something as, you know, as a reference for like a drum sound or something like that or like a sound of a record, um, I tend not to sort of listen to too much stuff. And if I do, it tends to be more probably going back to some of the stuff that influenced me when I was growing up in Wales and stuff. You know, some of those really early like rock bands or punk bands, you know, anything from Black Sabbath to... So your first band was Sweetleaf, wasn't it? That was the name of my, it, right? Or uh, one that was of. one of my first bands was called... Uh, that was probably my worst... Uh, no, that's probably my first... <laughs> I was say, my, no, my no, worst band. Oh, no, I had worse <laughs> than that. No, I think my first... That was my first kind of band where it was kind of you know we could actually play a little bit you yeah know? yeah yeah i mean the bands before that were literally just me hitting like two strings ding ding ding, ding uh-huh. you know we're trying to play like james bond or whatever it was <laughs> or rat trap by boontown rats i think it was one of them ding ding, ding 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 anyway but um it was um yeah uh, so oh yeah so anyway the you know the whole solo record was really me taking some time out Taka was doing um his side band out in japan so i thought this is a good time to do it because he's got he, he's got something to keep him busy um, and then I was meant to do some writing for you know maybe some acoustic artists or a few people on our publishing company because I'm, I'm, I do get asked quite a lot to do co-writes I'm not, I'm not someone that does it very often but it's not that I'm 
you know, I'm very honoured yet to be asked, and it's quite flattering, but it's not something I have a burning desire to be part of that writing group thing. If I do something, I'll do it because I really like the band or, or, I, or, or I think I can do something with them. And it's something I will do more of, but it's, but it's not something I have a burning passion to do. It's something I might do more after feeder, maybe. But Is there a shelf life to people, feeder in your head? I don't know, you tell me. <laughs> I suppose it's that's where the people, isn't it? I mean, I think it's not probably, in sight anytime soon, though. I think no. I you. mean, you know, it. You know, it's. You know, doing this other thing came about. So I, I was I was going to write for other people, and I got close to it, and I thought this has got to be a solo record. I don't even care if it even comes out. So that happened. Um, as far as the feeder thing goes, is there a shelf life? Um, I don't think there is. I think we've created a uh, like a band that you know whether people love us or hate us, I think we're cool or whatever. I, that's completely like relevant, you know, in my book. I mean, that's not that's not what I do music for. But I think we've we've managed to kind of do it our own way in some way. We haven't been labelled. Okay, yeah, you know, we've been. La- I think the only label we've ever had is probably Grunge, which is complete, which is a label that gave all the bands at the time. That um, first or, record or, was or very rock, or Brit rock kind of grunge yeah. influence, though, wasn't it? I was listening to it again the well, other day, still, but but we still are because those bands that started then, you know, when we, you know, we, you know, you have to remember we've been going. I think a little bit longer than the Foo Fighters, for God's sake. So if you think about the bands that were going on in America, I, I felt like a real connection with them because they had elements of all the music that I grew up with. They had elements of pop, punk and rock. Yeah. And that's what they have. I mean, you know, that's what, that's what like Nirvana had. That's what, you know, um, you know, there was other bands. Weezer and... All those bands. Yeah, Weezer had that like, fun element to them. And then you had bands like, you know, like, like Smashing Pumpkins we, got, we, used to, we used to get labelled a lot. Um because they, you know, they were a band that kind of almost like they had had the dynamics of someone like Led Zeppelin or, or Pink Floyd in a weird kind of way because they had songs that were heavy as hell with these big sort of Sabbath guitar sounds which I had an instant connection with and then they had songs with strings on and then they had little almost like acoustic songs not folky but almost and, uh, and that's what Led Zeppelin had and that and I uh, and Feeder was always a band that we wanted to be a band that had that kind of dynamic even from day one um, so yeah I it, it, but you know, but at the same time, we, we, I think we were a bit different to that as well because we had this slight, a slight sort of British influence there as well in places that those bands didn't have. So I think we were kind of somewhere in the middle. Uh, people used to call us like Mid Atlantic. We were like the Mid Atlantic Smashing Pumpkins. It, it was yeah, sort of, yeah, yeah. Because we weren't quite that, but we were. There was influence from what was going on in the UK a little bit. It was all Britpop then. I wouldn't say that we were a Britpop band at all, but who would your peers have been over this side uh, of the pond? People like well, say people Skunk and Nancy. Well, we were good. Well, they, well, they were well, well. When we started, they Skunk and Nancy were called Mammal Wild. They were very different. They were like a sort of funk rock band, right? And we did a few gigs, and there was in a completely different lineup. It was, it was Skin still, and she was still, you know, I think she had a shaved head then. I can't remember. I think she did, but you know, we were well, we were going before Skunk and Nancy, but they kind of came along. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, it was a similar time because I remember we, their rehearsal room was there, and ours was there, and they kind of their sound changed quite a bit with the times, and then with that whole nineties thing. I think they probably got. I know they were really into stuff like. Um, I know Skin like really liked us, and she really liked all the riffs we were doing. And I know that Ace was very into. You know, when they got Ace on guitar, he was very into that kind of rage and machine and stuff. So I think it's just that combination. I think it took them to to a to a different place. You know, where they originally started. You know, you know, as a, as you know, a lot of bands like develop. You know, obviously ourselves included. Um, but yeah, I mean, other bands who were around the most. I suppose, you know, the sort of Brit poppy side of bands that I thought were good. I mean, people go, you know, have a go, you know, 
you know, about Oasis, but but I thought they had some good tunes, you know, and I thought they, they I kind of liked what they were doing. I liked the whole kind of slight kind of attitude, the quite sort of Leiden-esque sort of thing he had going on at the time. You know, I'm a huge Blur fan. I mean, I thought Blur were, you know, well, I still do. I, thought, I think they're a great band. And, you know, Blur, even, Blur even, even influenced my writing a little bit to a certain extent. You know, songs like... Um, you know, um, was it coffee and TV, whatever? Is mm-hmm. it coffee and TV and you know, and the, a Beetle Berm and you know all that kind of stuff. I mean, not not all the Blur stuff, but there were certain things, and especially in sort of just some of the sounds that I felt like a connection with, and kind of had elements of things that I liked um, that I found in music. You know, when I was growing up, you know, Graham Crookson definitely has some some rock elements in his playing, and he, and he, you know, he's a great guitar player. And I kind of really related to that. So, so yeah, I think we were quite, I think we were quite open to, you know, what was going around both in the US and the UK. And I think that probably helped us as a band sort of, you know, um, develop. And I think it sort of probably um, helped me as a songwriter, you know what I mean? Did the categorization of music get on your nerves ever, or does it? Because there's this need, isn't there, in the press to go, they're indie or they're rock but that or they're metal. Wor- but that's or... been our worst enemy. I and think that's. I think that's the reason. As why As you we're say, probably... you've always kind of been all of it. Kind of, but but we've never been it's just a rock band. Do you know what I mean? We are, but there's not many people like us. I mean, I'm not trying to say we're some like out there, you know, the whole, you know, but but I, I would, you know, hand on heart, there isn't many bands like Feeder who have that dynamic and do what we do and have been made the albums that we've made and you know we've been very lucky you know to be able to do that but I think it's just our it's just I think definitely my upbringing and what I listened to as a kid I'm trying to is that coming up on the mic that's alright no, it's sorry, all good it hasn't got the it's just kind of what we grew up with you know all of us really I think that's kind of really sort of set the kind of the kind of musical path for us in some way but you know, I'm not. I'm not embarrassed to sort of you know mention some of the bands. You know, I listen to a lot of '80s pop music. I listen to great '70s rock. I listen to punk rock music. You know, stuff my brother was listening to. Stuff my mate. I mean, you know, the first stuff I remember listening to was like uh, really mainstream stuff like ABBA. Um, well, you can't early, deny that song, right? Can you? Oh, ABBA, and especially unbelievable band. Well. I mean, yeah, I mean Beach Boys. Only because I remember my dad had like a set in the car, and you know, even some like some stuff like uh, Earth, Wind and Fire and like stylistics and stuff like yeah, that. Because yeah. that's what, I think, my, I think my dad had a few of those, he had those big, you know, those sort of big like cassette things that sort of, you know, they got like videotapes, yeah, 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 yeah. and his old Rover. And, you know, and just things like that that you remember, even like Carpenters, I remember being, I'm thinking, God, you know, you know what amazing songs, like, you know, you know what amazing voice. Um, and I think it's all, all, all of that, having that kind of like a sponge and it sort of, it all soaks into you. I think it kind of, it's it's sort of helped us sort of you know maintain um kind of ideas and drive in some way and a unique voice as you say yeah i mean you know it's, a unique sound yeah i mean you know we're not you know breaking any mirrors but i think if you compare us to a lot of the guitar bands even some of the ones that we've mentioned those bands are not necessarily going to have you know for example you know Foo Fighters. you know we get compared to Foo Fighters a lot you know i can see the comparison in some way but I think we're very different bands. I think they're getting more experimental now, but there's no way Foo Fighters would have a song like Just The One Feeling or, or you know, Feeling A Moment even. They might touch on it, but it's a different thing. Yeah. Whereas they might have, you know, we've got songs that would sit 
like great along with Foo Fighters stuff, you know, and we'd be a great support band for them. And I'm sure we have very similar fan base. You know, you mentioned Weezer. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's songs that would appeal to Weezer fans that we've got, but we're a very different band to Weezer. You know, it's, it's that was it's the, kind of, for me. That was the joy of the '90s, though. Was every single band yeah. offered something different? None, none of yeah, them sounded alike. I mean, you know, the thing is, the fact they couldn't really label us because because I call us an indie rock band because we've always been on independent labels. You know, obviously our own labels included. And it's just a name for it in New York because I thought, well, we're not a big major label band. You know, we never had that platform. And maybe if we had, possibly we would still be doing arenas now. You know, you, you know, it's it's all down to how big that record is. Yeah. You know, the reason why bands like, you know, Stereophonics are still here because somehow they've managed to still keep to arenas because they've crossed over into the Radio 2 market. We've never done that. Um, there's part of me that feels like I don't really, you know, I'm not going to complain. If Radio 2 want to play feeder, that, that's absolutely brilliant. Hopefully, you know, formats can change at radio, but I've never really sort of, I've never, I always felt we were a bit more, not left field, but a bit a bit more uh, edgy. So I didn't think And I'd say youth-orientated. You still have that spirit of youth in the I music. I think so, but a lot of people listening to Radio 2 are probably, you know, people you know of our age and stuff so it came of age you know, in that so you know yeah. I, I see no reason why they shouldn't play more bands like us i know they you know because i think they i think they should be and i think that you know um we'll have to wait and see how how the whole Isn't radio, radio is so funny at the moment well, and has been for a while i used to work on kerrang radio and yeah. i remember you guys used to come through there all the yeah, time yeah. Well, they were they still support us like massively i mean like kerrang have been amazing to us it's, it's a, a difficult different. time, isn't it? For, especially for commercial stations, it's a very difficult time. The thing time. with us is people people at mainstream stations, for some reason, and in some way I'm quite proud of it, because there's, there's part of me that doesn't want to feel like the band are too mainstream. You know, I want success, and I think that you know we're a commercial band at times, and I think I write commercial songs because you know, I love melodies. But there's also that kind of 90s kind of indie rocker in me that still kind of thinks... I'd rather be a little bit left field of that. Mm-hmm. And it sounds really weird. I'm sure my managers might say, don't say that. <laughs> that's it. That's the, that's the playlist gone. But it's, um, you know, personally, I I mean, I think that it's stations like Six Music, I think, you know, I'm amazed, you know, you know, you, you know, that probably, you know, they do play us a bit. I, I, I thought we'd be a Six Music band just because I know the people that I listen, you know, all my mates who were into the sort of music I'm into listen to Six Music and they would listen to us if we were on there. So it's very confusing. You, you know what? I don't understand radio. I really don't understand it. Um, what what I can see, you mentioned like Kerrang Radio is, and it's not just because they, they're obviously playing us, but the thing I like about Kerrang Radio is it reminds me of what XFM used to be. Yeah. It plays like general guitar bands. It'll play a Razorlight track next to a Foo Fighters track next to like a Nirvana track next to an Elbow track. Next to Metallica, and yeah. And that's brilliant. Yeah. Because to me, that's kind of what I think radio should be, especially like rock, you know, radio or, you know, or indie rock radio. And I think there's a, there's a massive lack of, of that at the moment. I think someone needs to sort of let the kids hear some guitar music as well, not just pop all the time. Because, you know, where is me? You know, my kids, you know, you know I'll get in the car. Tag, you put capital on, and I'm like, oh no, not again. Um, fine, you know, but I just want to make sure they that they know what else is out there as well. Isn't quite- that interesting though? That when we, I mean, you, I guess, were like a teenager in the '80s. Yeah. I was a teenager in the '90s, and during both those decades, I mean, the '80s was perhaps more left field in the pop music that it put out. But both decades had guitar bands that were working with inside the mainstream. Yeah. 
and yeah. you don't really have that you've got no. maybe Kasabian it's a few um, but yeah you know there's one or two at the moment you know Biffy Clyro maybe stuff. yeah I mean you know I mean Biffy you know they've they've done incredibly well haven't they've they? done because very well they've I remember not them opening for us. Yeah. their no. eccentricities no they managed to keep it I mean they they have definitely got way more mainstream and I think they've I think they realised if we're going to be to have a career and make money out of this you know we, we have to have some success and yeah, I think yeah. they've done it but I th- don't think they've sold their soul at all I think they've I, 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 you know obviously hats off to them I think you know I think they're a great band you know great live band and you know it's nice that they've done that because that what they've done doesn't happen very often I think I think I think I mean, how I describe our career is this is how I feel anyway is that um, I, my, I may be changing the subject completely. There is no subject, Grant. That's great. Good. We just talk. We just yeah, talk yeah. away. That's great. And we're not even drinking either. Um, <laughs> we are drinking yeah, with its green yeah, tea. With its green tea. <laughs> rock and roll. It's, um, it's that we kind of, this may sound like a very basic way of putting it, but every, everything we've done has been, I think there's like towers in this business, like towers. Yeah, yeah. And some, some bands, it might have been a combination of timing the right label, the right manager, the right song at that moment, whatever, had this, they, they kind of, they just had this tower and they all, and they were all at the top of the tower. We've always had to sort of, it's always been a very much a brick by brick thing with us. Each one has been building and I still feel like, like that now, even after 25 years of doing feeder. It was like, yeah, we've had times where it's grown a little bit quicker, but it's never, it's, but it's never crashed but it's it's either just stayed there or it's or we or we you know it's just been chipping away with that kind of band it frustrates me sometimes but then it could have been worse you can sometimes have this massive launch and be be at the top of the tower and then it's gone it could be that difficult second album it just could be a number of things it could be the band just imploding and everyone falls out with each other so that's how it's been for us and I think it's been like that for some other bands as well but not so, but it doesn't happen that often I think you know Biffy Clara is a good example because they kind of they had their Two, two or three records and they were kind of seen as a cool band but like very underground then suddenly they just you know they signed to a bigger label you know they made a really sort of commercial record and now they're you know you know one of the most successful bands in the UK you know and I think that's amazing it doesn't happen very often that story um, I think what well I think what I'm trying to say is you know you can either have this massive big launch platform or you just have to earn it and I think we've been lucky enough to we came through the 90s building a fan base you know, getting you know some radio support. I mean, I mean, you have to remember there was times where we were all over Radio One. Of course, I mean, like Steve and Matt was a big supporter of us as well. That 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 was a massive help to us in the early days. Um, you know, and we still are on the Radio One, but it tends to be more the back catalogue stuff. You might get a few spot plays. You know, we're not we don't hit that age group anymore, or or, or their age group that they want. Um, I imagine you don't go out perhaps clubbing these days as much as you used to no we still but- party we, I mean, don't get me wrong you know we you know we've been a very you know some people say oh we didn't play the press game and that and, you know, it can be partly that as well you know maybe I should have gone out to more clubs I was invited to and hung out with some people but I really didn't want Feeder Success to be on the back of that because I, it's so short lived and it's just a little story and then it's gone well I was going to ask you how do you feel if you are band. out and like Buck Rogers comes on yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> look you know because uh, that gets played in every bar in every club still to this day across the country I mean, week yeah, in week out, I go out. Um, <laughs> you know what I, I can't complain about hearing any songs that you know that we've done as feeder and you know something you know which I've written you know I can't complain about that I mean as a writer you know I've got some songs I'm much more personally like proud of but but Rogers ticks a box that those songs don't tick so 
Didn't you write you that initially yourself, for another band? You can't beat yourself. Is that up the way that went down? Yeah, yeah. That's in that in fact that was the that was the time where you know me and my missus had a little break. Right. And, and there's uh, that kind of the inspiration behind the song. It's, it's a true story. It's it's partly how I got to meet Gil Norton and got to work with Gil Norton, the producer who's, mm-hmm. who who um, did Three Feeder Records. Um, it was uh, yeah, we had a little break, and I think we was posting somebody else here for a little while. It's a bit of a weird one because I think we we both wanted to get back with each other, so it was a weird time. Bit of frustration, I think, on my side. And I heard she was seeing this guy who was in TV advertising. He was making a car ad for Jaguar, and I didn't like it very much for some reason. You know, been with my missus for a while, and then so I started. Uh, I would, I'd been approached to maybe write a song for a US band that Gil Norton was working with, who were doing a who, who were doing an album, and I think they were looking for a, like a stronger single. And Gil Norton's wife. So this is a long story. No, no, I want to mention Feeder to him. I think this is what I was told. You better check with him. This is true, but I'd mentioned, oh, you should work with Feeder one day because I think you'd really like them, and that I think you, you know, be you know really good for them. But Gil was one of the hottest kind of producers at the time. I mean, he's done everything. What had he Pe- done at that point? Foo Fighters, obviously. Three Pixies albums. Pixies. Foo Fighters, Echo and the Bunny Man. Pixies. I mean, yeah. so many people. Patty, Patty Smith, I think. Uh, I mean, you know, the guy has you know, done some seriously good records. You know. And like Pixies, I'm a huge Pixies fan. So I was like, oh, Pixies, I've got to work with them. Um, was Pixies sort of the sonic template for that song as well, to some extent? If you heard the demo, it sounds really like the Pixies. I was, I was totally going for the Pixies because partly I was writing the song that I wanted Gil that he get. So yeah, I thought, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. got even more Pixies on yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, it's still very feedery because, you know, we had those elements a little bit anyway because we'd always sort of liked that sound. Um, I didn't discover the Pixies until quite late on, actually. I didn't. You know, it wasn't really time to move to London that I found, even found out. I mean, I knew the name, but I didn't really know the music that well. So I, I kind of got on, you know, it didn't, it, you know, it wasn't a band I was listening to when I was sort of 16, 17. Well, I don't think they were even going then, probably. <laughs> I don't know how long they've been going for, Pixies. But anyway, so... Um, so you write that track. So what happened was uh, there was a call to our manager, I think, from something, somebody from Gill's kind of team saying, I would grant be interested in writing a song. And I was like, yeah, sure. So I started writing the song, and obviously, the thoughts of my missus going out with this guy who was doing a car ride was obviously on, on my mind. So I just did some guide lyrics because the singer in this other band was going to do his own lyrics to the song, and they'd sort of, you know, re record it and they just used my top lines and, you know, and all the melodies if they liked it. So I just did, he's got a brand new car. So it was a bit of a kind of drunken kind of, you know, rant, I suppose, all a bit silly. And I, and I remember thinking at the time, I had this kind of madness. I like driving in my something really stupidly simple, almost like childlike, but kind yeah, of yeah. quirky. Anyway, um, and the next thing I know, I went into the label that was Echo at the time. Play it to the head of the label. I said, "This is a song I'm gonna." And he went, "You can't give this away." I was like, "What do you mean?" He goes, "This is a smash hit." And I was like, "What?" I was like, I, "I just didn't know what was going on." Anyway, got to meet Gil. He he decided after hearing the song that he wanted to work with Feeder, so we kept it. After various, um, uh, well, there was a few arguments actually because I tried to rewrite it all. Because I said I'm not going to sing. He's got a brand new card. I said I can't do that. He go and he was like, if you change it, it's that. He said you're going to ruin it. It's not going to be a hit. And I was like, no, I, I can't do that. So I had this big, I had this, sort of like threw my, you know my toys out the pram and. And then I eventually backed down, and it basically is identical to the demo, to in every way. It just sounds more polished and more produced. Personally, love Gil, and I and his version probably made it a hit. But I still prefer the original demo because it's a bit more, it's a bit more garagey. Yeah. 
it's still got the kind of player player thing it's got all the hooks everything's it's, it's all the same formula just, just a sounds, bit more just raw. sounds a bit more bandy yeah it was done on a it was done on a half inch um you know reel to reel 16 track just up the road there at the uh, crypt and it was just one of those it just had a vibe to it you know i think i've still got the tape somewhere up in the loft how how instrumental was Gil in the the success really in the sound of those three records was it the third fourth and fifth I album that he did with you he did Echo Park um, Pushing the Senses and Comfort and Sound and um, Comfort and Sound and Pushing the Senses was a oh, sort of co-producer that you kind of me and him which is quite rare because Gil doesn't do that very often I think he sort of I think we went through a pretty it was a real learning curve doing, uh, doing, doing like a part with him, just working with the producer like Gil because he, because you produced it, the second learn, album yourself we did as well, first, right? Yeah, and the first one was done with Chris, but we worked sort of together quite, you know, a lot on it. Um, see, for me, songwriting is like is like producing. It's not, a, it's not an ego, Patrick. Some people might, you know, you know, might disagree, but it's like an, it's like a, it's like a, you know, you have like a, a sort of vision for a song, and you know, when you sit down with the acoustic guitar. I'm I'm sort of producing it in my head. It's not just you know that's what people and I think a lot of people kind of write like that and it's just in it. So it's very hard for it not to sort of take on some of that. And so if it if, if it goes completely not that way, it can feel really really. It doesn't feel right sometimes. And it you know it's it's not even an ego thing. It's just you have a vision for it and you don't want to feel like you're compromising that vision. But I think with Gil, to be fair to him, I mean because the songs were in pretty good shape. It wasn't like he really messed with that too much. It was just sort of just making things sound lots of like sonically, you know, better and neater. I mean, I mean, Gil was really, that's what he does. He's very, very fussy. You know, he'll make you play stuff and think, oh, that sounds fine to me. And I'm quite fussy. So I'm thinking, oh my God, he's really fussy. But I learned so much from him. And, you know, he's, he's like, you know, he's, a, he's, he's you know, he's um, kind of like a dear friend now. So we, you know, we went. I mean, I learned a lot from him, but it was a very different process. It was, it was, it was a lot slower, um, a lot more detailed, and probably more disciplined in some way. And I kind of, I wasn't used to working that way. I wanted things to be a little bit more edgy, a bit more rough around the edges. Yeah. But to be fair, you know, it probably made it a more. It probably made the radio sit better on radio. You know, it made that album made it more digestible. Better. Possibly, yeah. You know. Um, people go on about Echo Park it's it's, it's not one of my favourite feeder albums I know some people out there might go oh my god how can you say that it's nothing to do with that I just I think the Echo Park has got some really interesting songs on it it's, and I call it like the pop album but actually it's, if you listen to the whole record it's not really There's the singles quite, were but then so yeah. it's only like three song, you know like three yeah. singles that were quite fun like Seven Days in the Sun and yeah. you know, obviously Buck Rogers but the rest of it's not really at all like that and I think that you know, I, I probably gave it a bit of a hard time because it's actually quite an interesting record, you know. Um, I guess it, the singles are what a lot of people associate the album with, aren't they? Because many people that, that, will that, just hear them that, that, yeah, and I, go, oh, around that period, they were doing that stuff. Exactly, and that can be quite frustrating because I always think some of our best songs are, you know, album tracks and B-sides, as, as most bands, you know, I'm sure would say the same. Um, but, you know, singles are picked and they're normally in a combination of, you know, the band have a few favourites. There's bamboo coming. Here comes the cat. The grass in a man. What's he doing? Um, the uh, yeah, it's, it's you know, it's normally a bit of a you know, you know what the radio plugger thinks, you know what the A&R guy thinks. So it's always a bit of compromise, and sometimes you feel like, oh god, I really don't want that one to be the single. It's not that you hate the song; it's just there's other songs that you always prefer. 
and they're normally the ones that are a bit more fun to play live or whatever it is you know I still don't think we necessarily made some of the best choices with singles I have to admit hand on heart I'm not I wouldn't say I can't say one in particular but I think there was some there were some really strong songs that slightly got lost you know that could have been I think potentially maybe better songs on radio in my honest opinion but I'm sure every band that you that you probably talk to will probably say the same as well but I could be wrong it's just you have a gut feeling for certain tracks yeah and you know when you get that feeling it's normally right I think respectfully as well nobody knows your band and the music that you're making better than you and part of the yeah. industry game is that obviously you have all these gatekeepers and tastemakers that yeah. think they know best, but they're not talented in that way that they've it's, created it. Or, I think it's also <laughs> the fact I mean? that I'm hearing the songs in here probably thousands of times by the yeah. time they're finished. You know, after they're finished, I never really listen to them apart from if I've forgotten the lyric or something or forgotten the guitar part. You know, once it's the most bizarre thing making records because it's literally part of your body. It's like, you know, you, you sort of live and breathe it. You literally can't get it out of your system. You know, for me, it's it's really intense. I absolutely love it. But it's like, if you ask my family, I'm just, I just become a different person. And then, and then it suddenly, it's done. And then it's like, and then you move on to the next one. It's bizarre. <laughs> you, know, you know, obviously you play it live Print and stuff. next, go. Yeah, it yeah. is. And you never read, and the only time you ever really hear it is when you're doing, you know, like the odd time where you put, you know, we might hear it. Obviously, you know, turn the radio on, it's on. Um, or if you're doing interviews, and you might, and they might say, oh, "We're going to play so and so now." Or it's, it is, it's, it is quite weird, you know, the whole process because it, it's, it's such a big part of your life, and then it's, and then you, and then it's nothing after that. It's just weird. It's almost like you've done that, and then you move on to the next chapter. It's quite strange, but I suppose you know, um, it's not TV. You look back on it, and you know, when you're doing stuff like singles and obviously best ofs that it all comes back to you and then you realise all those little moments and, you know, where you know where you were when you were making those or where you were when you were writing those songs. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Have you sort of reminded yourself of the various ages and stages and chapters of the journey? Yeah, I look at some of you've the been heavily involved in going down memory lane. It was quite interesting. Quite a bit of eyeliner going on. Um, <laughs> it was, it was, uh, it was really nice, you know, to sort of, 
you know, I know we did the singles album. That was, I think, 11 years ago. I think people were saying, oh, why are you doing your best of? We did the singles album. I said, yeah, but we've done, well, we've done five, if you include Arrow, which is the new one that comes on this record as well, you know, we've basically done five albums, you know, since then, which is a lot. Um, and I was working on the radio when you brought out Renegades yeah. and Generation Freak Show. Yeah. And there's legitimate hits on both those. I loved Idaho. I loved Borders. But, I mean, I think Even like songs... Sentimental, a bit more crunchy. But... Yeah. I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of those records. I mean, I love the Renegades record. People think it as being our, you know. Call out. What was this is kind that of glitch in our career? I was like, to me, I think it's one of the best feeder albums. It, to me, it captures the heart of what, what we were when we started out as a band. That's what I wanted to get back to on that record. It was like, let's go back to that three-piece making complete racket with some really good melodies and just do it. And, you know, and I think if you listen to Renegades, I mean, I'm not trying to say that we've influenced these bands, but, you know, it stands up alongside, you know, a lot of bands who are doing well now, you know, people like Royal Blood and stuff like that. It's got the big riffs. I mean, it does have that. I mean, you know, and feeder's always had that. It's just that, some of the records just because of that moment in time or what you know whatever was picked on the record some albums have been heavier than others but definitely you know a renegades i was very adamant i didn't want to compromise that record they said it's got to just be a rock record you know it just wants to rock and it's got to be fun and it's, it's got to be big riffs and were well, you calling you the know. band Renegades around? Well, that only time? only because everyone goes, oh, well, it's to go well because it's not feeder. It was Renegades. Like, no, it's feeder. The the whole point was. I wanted to because we just done the Silent Cry tour we, and we did a lot of shows on that. Um, Silent Cry, I think, is a is a very undiscovered feeder record. I think we were just unfortunate we put out a really good record when the label was folding, so that one got a little bit lost. So I think the Renegades was probably a bit you know was a re, kind of a result of the frustration of that. Yeah, reaction and, to yeah, it. Yeah, and also I felt like the band the sort of wasn't get, it was getting stale. I just think we just I think we just got a bit like I just got a bit down about it. I was a bit like. You know, I made a really good record and nobody really heard it or you know only the fans and um, and I honestly thought there were some of the best songs I'd written on that record and I still do but um, but Renegades was kind of you know, maybe a result of that and just sort of going back to the start to so we could go to the next one yeah yeah you know I think it, that's how I felt in my mind and people go oh you're mad well you want to go in a transit van again and do little clubs so yeah sometimes you need to hit reset don't you to get inspired again yeah we did it all in a split bus with like one crew and stuff it was it was but people going isn't that a bit weird we've just been doing like huge gigs I said no it's great I love it because you miss that yeah and all the, all the big bands will say the same to you because you know you kind of miss that kind of it's a bit like well that's what you got to work with and you just do it and I think that we sound good in that environment you know you know, I think we can still do that well you can sound amazing on stage in front of 20,000 people but yeah. once you get to a certain level if you don't stay in touch yeah. with that garage band element you can totally. die on your ass in a 400 capacity you room. You can. And we were like a three piece and, you know, we don't use any backing track. It was literally just three of us and we were doing something. Yeah, ideally we'd have had two guitar players and a few things. But I was like, no, let's just do it as three to start with. It was brilliant. I absolutely loved it. It was probably, I think, um, it had the sort of freedom of doing, you know, when I, you know, I did my solo stuff. It was a completely different vibe. It had that, it had that kind of, free, it felt that, that fresh to me, you know? Yeah. So different. And I think it was really good for us. I think it really sort of gelled the band a bit. And I think it was... Because um, did that coincide with Mark rejoining Skunk and Nancy? So had he well, gone Mark, at that I point? Mean, Mark, I mean, you know, it, things got a little bit weird at the end. Of, it wasn't... We didn't fall out or anything. I think... Um, I mean, you know, Mark came from a very successful band. He'd been in quite a few bands. Um, and, you know, there's always going to be... He, he has a way of working. There's always going to be some baggage with that. that. You know, you can't, you know, um, you can't avoid that. I think he came into a, a difficult situation. You know, Mark's a fantastic drummer. Um you know 
he's not a bad guy. He's a good guy. There's times when me and him, you know, probably didn't click. And he was, pro- you know, and it's, you know, there was no particular reason. It's just that sometimes, you know, when the chemistry doesn't feel quite right, you just think, well, you know, let's change it. And I think the Skunk and Nancy thing came along probably at a good time. And it gave me, you know, I felt like, well, I'm not just going to kick Mark out of the band. He'd be sort this out or we, or we don't. And when he said, I'm going to do the Skunk thing as well, I thought that's not going to work. You know, what if you're doing tours at the same time? And I just didn't know if that was a good message to be said. If it'd been like a little side project, fine. So, so it felt like that was a good time to maybe make a change. And, I know. I don't. I think at the time he probably wasn't very happy about it. Right. Hopefully, is that is that the beef now. that you've settled? Yeah, I've seen that a few times. It yeah. was fine. I mean, you know, um, you know, it's, it happens. Then it? it does it happens. just happen. It's the things I get on most people, and I think Mark. You know, it's probably hard for him because he, he was coming to a band that were very much had a way of working, and the, and he knows I'm very driven and stuff like that. And and I think that he, he you know, Mark's quite a, a quite a strong personality as well. And I think there was just times where it wasn't quite the right thing. But I, you know, to be fair. You know, he came into a, you know, he came into a really, you know, we, um, he did a fantastic job, and he came in, you know, to fill some big shoes after John, and, you know, possibly we should have maybe just sort of waited a bit before he made a permanent sort of thing of it, really. You Can know, I maybe... ask you about that sort of period of um, John's well, John, suicide yeah. and? Yeah, so yeah, it was an awful time, you know. Um, well, did you in any way, shape, or form foresee? No, well, anything I mean, like that coming? No, no, I mean, I knew. Uh, no, I mean, if I'd known, I probably would have got on a plane and gone to see him because I, I didn't know. I mean, it was getting quite difficult with him, you know, living in America and going back and forth all the time. I think he was finding that quite tiring, and he had he had a kid as well, and I didn't have children, so I didn't really understand how it felt to be away from me as sort of kids. So it is hard. Unless you're actually a parent, you don't understand that. You think, oh yeah, you know, whatever. You're in a band, um, so I think that was quite a strain on him. Like, you know, whether he had like pressure from, you know, from his other half that side. I mean, I don't know. I know. I think it was quite difficult, but I never really saw. You know, everyone goes through ups and downs. You know, it wasn't like. I mean, John was such a bubbly guy and like very popular guy. He was always like great in interviews, and you know, he was he was great for me because he could you know he could do a lot of the interviews and he'd just be really good and sort of funny and stuff and we kind of started the band here together as well so he was kind of like I suppose you know the sort of heartbeat of the band I've your partner been, in crime I've always been like yeah. the kind of writing like creative one but he was a real driving force as well and also an, an absolutely fantastic drummer you know we've always had amazing drummers you know Mark included you know we've been very lucky because they have to be good in a three piece it's hard stuff yeah. to play as well I mean as simple as you need to stuff is a drums is a workout you know, you've got to be, you know, up there with Grohl, you know, it's hard to play. Um, so, yeah, so losing him was, it was, yeah, it was kind of horrendous, but I didn't really, no, I never imagined that he did what he did, but, you know, whether it was kind of a moment of madness or whatever, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to go into it too much, but, yeah, I understand. you know, I know it's just kind of the way, I can't even talk about some of the stuff I know about it. It's just the way it was kind of done and, you know, I mean, the only thing that really bugged me, and I, I and I've, it's been in the press. There's no point in me hiding it. Is the, um, is the, um, and it is something which I do think about, pretty much every day. Is that you know the fact that he called me before he did it, and I didn't get a chance to talk to him because I didn't know he was because there was some like random number. I've got called by so many you know like weird people. I was just out. I think I was in Pizza Express and came to town at the time, just with a mate. He was over from America as well, and I just got some random number. Didn't answer it, and then by I think we ended up getting pretty wasted that night catching up with an old friend he, you know he, he slept on my you know, sofa the next thing I do is I get a call from uh, you know from John's brother and 
I'm like, oh my God. And then I, of course, got on my phone, playing his messages, and I got messages from John on there. It's like, oh God, it was that. That beats me up still. So I'm thinking, well, there's that. Was he, to, we, we, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I think on a, I suppose on a positive note, he wanted to talk to me. And I think, and I could tell by what he said on the phone, just his, his voice, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like an angry thing. You know, he wanted to talk to me about something or say goodbye to me, maybe. I don't know. Maybe that was his way of saying goodbye to me. Obviously, I meant something to him. Um, you know, we you know we had a good relationship with John. We used to argue like you know we were like brothers. You know, we'd have punch ups on the bus, and the next day we'd be like you know best mates. People, 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 you know, people that knew us sort of knew we had that relationship. You know, we were really close, but both are equally driven, but in different ways. Um, but yeah, no. To answer your question, I I didn't see it coming. I knew it was getting difficult, just the kind of constant travelling for him and being away from his family, but. That's kind of part of being in a band, isn't it? You know, if you make a choice to... Yeah, it's the deal you sign up it, for, right? It is, it is. And it's a shame because it seems like the perfect thing. Oh, he's living in, you know, in Kendall, like, you know, near Miami, and he's doing the rock and roll thing. And But you never quite know, do you? You never quite know. It could just be... I mean, you know, there's a lot of stuff about, like, depression and all that stuff. You know, it can hide itself. I mean, I get depressed sometimes, but I think some people hide it very well. Too well, almost that too, they're not too aware. Well. Yeah, too well. Too and late, I, don't, yeah. I didn't, you know, the last time I saw him was going off on a on a taxi motorbike after in CD UK, and he was off with his presence on the back of the bike, and, that, and that's the last time I saw him. Well, you know, apart from when I saw him, you know, and he was dead, obviously. But um, yeah, it was. It's just weird. I still, it's, it's still weird now. But you know, I'm kind of, you know, I'm sort of angry with him as well because I think it's a very selfish thing to do. But at the same time, he obviously he obviously had something there that you know pushed him. You know, you, you know it, it is. I mean, you do feel you do feel angry because you think why? You know, it makes you angry thinking why would you do that? You got you know you got your kid there and all that sort of stuff as well. You know, forget the band. But you know, it's yeah. It sometimes it feels like it was yesterday. But then I got to move on. You know, you have to move on from stuff. You know, you do have to move on. I mean, it must be far worse for his you know, sort of family. But in some way. It's awful for his son and stuff and all that kind of stuff. But then they, they probably don't really remember him so much. You know, we had all that time with John, so that it's all those memories are there. So it's very hard to, uh, it's it's very hard to totally move on from it. I think, you know, just uh, you know, when he, even when you're playing old feeder songs, it's sort of it's just, it's just those little memories of. Because he, you know, he, 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 he was a bit, yeah, 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 yeah. He was a right yeah, he was a real rascal. You know what I mean? He was a real wine merchant. You know, in a very funny way. But very popular, and uh, you know, and uh, and a fantastic drummer. Um, but yeah, it's it's a shame. I can't really say much more, really. I mean, no, um, I it is what that. it is. But I mean, I think on the positive side as well, I think we could have either just stopped, and I probably would have maybe even possibly given up music. I don't know. Did that ever cross your mind as a serious option? A little bit. I, I went on a bit of a bender for about a month, and I and then I decided just to go in the studio and just just make a racket on my own and I, so I, I went up to the crypt just up over here in Crouch End and you know with an engineer called Matt Simon I think I probably gave him a nervous breakdown so I was literally just songs just pouring out of me and we were working out all the drum parts and pro, you know, getting him to program the drums it was hours of work so I said that's got to sound more like it hasn't got that John sound and you know so I, was, so I kind of had John's like drumming in my head because I knew the way he played so well trying to get Matt to like recreate that with the drum machines and samples hours of work but that's where Comfort and Sound came from 
And I were you I, just pouring all the emotions that yeah, you were I going through into the songwriting? if I hadn't gone into the the studio then, I think, I don't know whether we were, like, if I'd have made that record. And it certainly wouldn't have sounded like it does now. I think it really pushed me as a writer in a good way, I think, to do things I probably wouldn't have maybe been a bit, a little bit scared to do. And there's some really, there's some really delicate songs on that record. And then there's some really kind of crazy songs that were kind of songs like Godzilla and, you know, you've got Godzilla and you've got a song like Child in You. They're so different, but that was kind of, I think that was just kind of what was going on in my head at the time. And also, you know, at the same time, that's kind of feeder, you know, that is, that's our dynamic. You know, we have Godzilla, but we have Child in You. That's what makes it feeder. Um, that's that's just that's that's part of our DNA <laughs> as a band. Yeah, that's yeah. part of my DNA as a writer. It's always going to be like that, and I, I don't think I would change that. I think it's I think it's that's that's our yeah that's our you know that's us. That's that's what makes it us. You know, I think I think a lot of the press don't realise that you know what we are as a band. Um, In what way? Just musically, I don't think, I think people, you know, you talk about the singles, I think a lot of press are serious as being, oh, they're the band that had Bert Rogers in just a day. Yeah. You know, I think the only time... Incredibly, it's really, ignorantly, yeah, like a one-hit wonder. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, obviously rock press has always been, you know, like, you know, they've always been very good to, you know, to us, like Kerrang! and, you know, Metal Hammer, stuff like that. But, um, you know, in the day, and it was sort of... Um, Did you feel like you lost a lot of support from publications like that once you started making softer albums? Well, I don't think because there was a bit of a well, see, but, attack mean, on you, wasn't there? Around yeah, but you know what? Two thousand three, four. When people go, oh, the only tunes of Coldplay. I was like, well, the, those were the songs that we wanted to do at that time, and that's what I was writing at the time. Yeah. I mean, there was rock songs around as well. There was, you know, there was even pushing the senses, which is not a you know not a heavy record. You know, there's popular songs on there. I mean, there was a song like Pilgrim Souls, a pretty rocking tune, and you know, we st- I mean, you know, I mean, pushing the senses is still an indie guitar song, and it's you know still in the set list now. I think that album became more popular afterwards. Yeah. And, you know, Feeling a Moment, you know, Love or Hate It, it's a massively well-known feeder song. It's probably one of the most, I think on Spotify, it's the most, it's got the biggest hits on it. Above Buck Rogers. Oh, yeah. Right yeah, on. I think it's the, that is the biggest by far. And there's some really weird ones that are quite high that are, it's quite encouraging. Yeah, I mean, yeah. High's actually quite high on, on the, on the um, um, you That's know, list. Good, was that your first like successful single yeah, yeah I, breakthrough I, single we talk about Echo Park being oh that's when Feeder became you had it from day one really didn't you well we had success with charting you know, singles it was, it was right at the end of um, sort of polythene when I re, I basically wrote high when we'd already sort of finished the record and when we got signed to Electra in America which was a big deal for us they signed us on the back of High and My Perfect Day, I think it was another song they, that they really liked, and Cement. Those, those were the three songs that they loved. And so we, when we went to America and had success and our, our profile was building here, we decided to re-release pretty much what was the American album. With High On, there. yeah. So, you know, tweak the artwork a bit. You know, it was down to the label. But it was a good move. Yeah. Because, you know... Was, and you were out there for like a year, right? It Ages? Kept, it, it, it just kept us out there, you know? Yeah. And um, tell me about some memories from that time. Was it good? Was it wild? Amazing was it time. It was adventurous. Oh, it was crazy. I mean, because that's the dream, isn't it? As a UK a, band, anyone who says crack for the you're a boring and... band, well, you come on tour, but you you be a fly on the wall in that tour bus, mate. And I can tell you, we're you know, it's it's all yeah. The thing with us is we just didn't really sort of play the flaunt it, game. as you we say. Just, yeah. you know, we wanted to to do it on our own terms and uh, and on songwriting had, credit. We we had a lot of fun. It we, it was crazy. A lot of ups and downs craziness it was it was yeah it was yeah. tell me about one go on rock, I mean, Any, anyone spring to mind as a particularly well, rock and roll debauch night 
Um, well, well, apparently I trashed the tour bus. I don't even remember doing it, which is quite out of character for me. I must have completely lost it. It was all I remember is we'd done a gig. I can't remember where it was. I don't know if we were. With, I don't. I think it was after the Everclear tour when we were opening for Everclear. I think I can't remember who we were. Maybe it might have been a band called Candlebox. They were a sort of nineties sort of band who were quite big at the time there. We toured with loads of bands, and it was the best thing you ever did because otherwise you end up playing in tiny clubs, and and that's where a lot of bands made the mistake. You know, they'd end up playing, you know, they do the American tour, and they end up playing in some bars about five people. But we decided to try and get on these do support great slots. supports, and yeah. you know, and we had tour support from Electra because it was expensive. So you know, you know, we, you know, it was a massive, you know, kind of leg up for us. Um, yeah, I think the one uh, the one I remember uh, the time I remember most is when um, we got absolutely hammered on Jägermeister, which was very popular at the time. I mean, properly hammered everyone, the crew, and there was like, there was kind of, there was like fights, tears, tears of joy. It was, it was <laughs> one of those crazy nights where everyone was like either, you know, best mates or, you know, alcohol kicks in. Yeah. And all I remember is being by the door of the tour bus on this American tour bus, it was one of those Eagle tour buses, whatever they're called. And Taco was a bit hammered, right? And he grabbed me just a sort of like playful way. And, but he sort of grabbed me in a way that, and I fell back onto the table on the, on the tour bus you know he was just having fun he wasn't being you know he was just having a laugh you know looking around. but because I couldn't put my arms out to break the floor literally my rib went smashing to the side of the table and I was hammered and the pain I thought <laughs> I was like oh my god I'm having a heart attack but I was so drunk I must have had some almost like bizarre like reaction and I just went crazy apparently I can't even remember it and I apparently I pulled literally pulled the table off the floor that was all bolted in and literally like, crashed the table Hulk moment <laughs> I went I can't even remember doing it I was I must have just and then you got long. to go and sing on stage with broken shot. ribs oh, no, I was uh, uh, what happened was I went in <laughs> I went to see a sports sports guy and he gave me some sort of he was like a sports doctor he was the only person I could see and he was like he gave me an x-ray and stuff and said no, you've, you've got a fractured rib um, I wouldn't I wouldn't sort of recommend you know carrying on singing and he gave me these some sort of painkillers that literally were like I think they were like morphine or something mm-hmm. they were so strong and I remember being so like depressed that we couldn't do the last few gigs of the tour and feeling like a complete idiot I went out with our sound guy and got really hammered and then took some of these pills I mean it could have killed me yeah and I literally they're powerful shit they, are, they were powerful yeah. and I remember um, having to get a flight back home the next day and they literally weren't going to let me on the fly. I was literally green. I was so ill. They it was touch and go where I could even fly. So I was yeah. I was I was. It was a pretty silly thing to do. Mm-hmm. But that but that's that's just <laughs> kind of thing that happened on a regular basis. That's yeah. just one story. But I mean I mean you know I mean lots of crazy times. Um, it was it was a lot of fun. And I guess you must have almost had like a hero's homecoming because by the time you got home for the second album. It was like you were finishing the millennium yeah. with like crazy. Didn't you open for like Chili Peppers at Wembley? Yeah, all sorts of stuff, yeah. And, and the Mannix at the Millennium yeah. Stadium. And the second album was really uh, just a sort of, it was really influenced by just that whole American thing. Yeah. You know, like songs like Insomnia. I mean, that yeah, was yeah, yeah. I love that bus. song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was. Really, was that just literally about touring the States? Totally. And yeah. just be on the tour bus and, you know. Drinking be, yourself to oh, sleep. All, all, all the stuff. I mean, in those days, a lot of bands used to buy that. It used to be like Nightmares, like. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, saying yeah. this. All the kids would be thinking, Christ, <laughs> terrible. I used to drink that just to, just to knock yourself out or like bend on it. I mean, it's awful. I mean, to think you're doing that. But, you know, it was just a way of getting some sleep on the bus. Because, you know, we were flying back and forth a little bit to do festivals as well. So it was really tiring so we were just on we were so 
kind of like jet lagged and out of it at times and then we couldn't sleep and then we had a gig the next night so we just want to just get a bit of sleep on the bus so we, yeah it was it was it was silly but it was just that it was it was it was like the 90s it was just a crazy time and uh yeah pre-internet you know, wasn't it oh there was no i mean i remember the mobile phone was just sort of this sort of sacred thing it was like oh you use it if you really have to and it was like this massive phone that we kept in a case and it was like i mean in some way it was a far more rock and roll time. Of course it was. Because you're off the grid. People just didn't know what you were doing. Yeah. I mean, no one did. I mean, you can see why sort of 80s and 90s, a lot of bands got up to a lot of very naughty things because yeah. nobody knew what you were doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, literally, unless the, you were actually there with the band, you could be up to all sorts. Yeah. <laughs> there was no Facebook. There was no things you know it was do you think grand that that's perhaps and i'm not condoning like yeah. illegal or immoral activity as such but there does seem to be <laughs> I like the way you put as that. such yeah. there does seem to be a decline in rock stars in today's world and they, do you think part I, of that is because that you know you can't really do anything without people kind of going well i think that's offensive or inappropriate oh, or, definitely because everyone's I, calling everyone out and throwing I mud think- and I think everyone's terrified. It's to hard be, to be outlandish in this day and age. Everyone's isn't it? terrified to be caught out, aren't yeah. they? Whatever you know, whether it's being you know unfaithful, whatever it is, you know, I think it's a very dangerous world because, and and you know, often there's people that can be saying stuff about someone that's completely not true. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot of crazy people out there. Um, well, I that's mean, it. That's rumors what, can spread like wildfire now, and people don't even bother to fact check, do they? They no. see something written online and go, "Oh my god, I can't believe that!" Share, spread, yeah. tell everyone. Judge, jury, execution are done, and then that person's career yeah. could yeah. be over overnight. Well, it can be, and it can be really evil, and you never quite know. You think, "Oh, is that true? Is that?" Not? I mean, yeah. it's, it's it's you have to be a lot more. I mean, you have to be careful. I mean, you know, I suppose on a positive thing, you know, it's a great way of. Um, I think if you're a young band, you know, you can you know, get your music out there now, you know, so much easier than you used to be able to in the old days, which, which is great, but everybody can do that. So it's even more competitive. Mm-hmm. And well, it's I so think, oversaturated, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, obviously the physical side of things is, is, is pretty dire compared to what it used to be. So if you're a young up and, you know, obviously young up and coming band, it's great. And there's some great bands out there. The hard thing is, you know, it's, it's all got to be paid for somehow. Because the labels band, ain't giving you those bigger labels in a very ready kids all support now, unless they're yeah. unless you're you know you're very lucky. So it's like, well, how do you make a living out of it? It's re- and, and, and and it is tough, you know. I'm not trying to be this sort of you know like the black cloud because I think you know if you're in a band and go for it, you know. It's, well, a few people have said to me in these talks that we have because well, I often get into this yeah. subject, and a lot of people will always say that good songs shine through. And if you write a great yeah. song, yeah, I mean, I've always said it's all about the tunes. People say, you know, what's the secret of yours? I said it's all about the tunes because it is. It is as simple as that. You know, you can follow the trends, you can do whatever. But whether it's talking about a Blur or some of the bands we talked about earlier on, though they had, you know, songs that gonna, that were going to sound good ten, twenty years later. Timeless. That's timeless. That's what yeah. it's all about. It doesn't matter whether you know what you were, how cool it was. I mean, I mean, how often now do you walk into some cool little place in Hoxton and they're playing like like Van Halen and Bon Jovi now, and they think it's kind of hip, you know? Oh yeah, I've got my rock T-shirt on, you know, like I'm wearing today. I'm just saying, you never quite know. It's really about a good song. Yeah. And if that song connects with people, that's what it's all about. And I think that's 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 the goal I think you should go for if you're a young man. Obviously, you know, learn your craft, get out there and play live, do it, you know, the, you know, you know, to the best of your ability. Um, even if you've only got like, no crew or one crew. You know, when you're a young band you can do that because you aren't used to having 
a brilliant PA system or the best amp in the world. You just do it and you, and you just deal with it, you know? It's like, I remember when I'm in, a, you know, everything gets sort of higher up as you as you get bigger, you know? Your first band, like the amps are on the floor and then suddenly, oh, they're, they're on the flight cases. Oh yeah, they're on two flight cases, you know? And then you go and see some band who have been around forever and they've got their amps on the floor I think God, it looks really cool it kind of reminds me of being in a band again I'm sure ZZ Top do that they just have <laughs> them right there yeah I mean I think what I'm trying to say is it, it, yeah I mean it is all about the songs you know it's about playing live as well and you know getting good at that and obviously you know building a fan base there is some young bands who are doing that you know people like Hannah are doing really well I think they're, I think they're a really good band they're doing it kind of on their own terms a little bit as well I know they've had some radio support but but they're really good at work, you know, uh, sort of using social media. You know, they're very good at that. And I think that's obviously, as much as I don't like doing it at times, it's something you have to get involved with a little bit, I think. Because I think otherwise, it's scary because you never quite know what your fans sort of think. Well, I mean, you didn't used to, unless you met them at a gig afterwards. They go, I, oh, you know, I really like the new album, or I didn't really like the new album, or, you know, why did he release that as a single, all that kind of stuff. Whereas now you've already read it, you, you can't move. <laughs> it's you can't for move. Comments and, and criticism. It's very, very difficult sometimes. And yeah, I'd be lying to you if I said at times it really does your head in. Of course. But but what I, but what I would say is t- to anyone that does sort of go on, you know, Facebook and Instagram, I'm on there. All, I do look at it all, and I am reading them, and it's hard not to react sometimes. But you know, it, it's 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 good to hear what people you know you know you know are thinking. But it's also be nice it's, it's also, nice. well no it's also very very it, it's time consuming and it's also i think it's quite brave for artists to actually do it because you know you are you are giving quite a lot of you know your heart and soul to the fans which you never would have done in the old days you know you were talking about all the rock stars that never would have happened it was almost yeah being more, on being more sort of secretive or, or aloof or not doing stuff was almost the coolest thing ever and now it's completely the opposite you've got the biggest artists in the world it was sort of putting a message on on some some random you know, rant about something. I mean, that just wouldn't have happened before. It's a different world, isn't it? I mean, there are two notable exceptions though, Josh Homme and Dave Grohl. You won't see them on social media. Right. Which I think is interesting because they're they're two of the last. Do you believe they don't look at it? I don't believe they don't look at it, but they certainly don't share their opinions vocally on it and they don't have an active presence on it. And they don't don't, have, they don't don't have personal profiles. I don't share my opinions on stuff in general on that. You know, things like politics. I I don't ever do that. It's purely about music stuff. And I probably look at it more than I actually um, interact with it because I, it's a very, it's a very slippery slope. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, you, just, yeah, you know yeah, yeah. that there's going to be one person on there that's just, that wants to get some attention and that will say something. You'll get like 50 likes on something and you'll get one go going, oh, yeah, it's awful. And and just kind of something that will really wind you up. Oh, you know, you've sold your soul or you sound like Coldplay. You know, it, it happens. It's fine. I mean, it just makes me laugh a bit. But you just have to sort of... I think it's it's sort of nice to be aware, but I think there's also... It's a bit like, you know, rock stars or pop stars say... I never read my reviews. I'm like, I don't believe that for a second. Do you really think Dave Grohl doesn't read his reviews? If he doesn't, I'll be very surprised. You know, he might not. I, I think he would. Because I think he'd be interested to see what people thought of it. or yeah. what that. But then you're talking about a journalist, you know, you know, it's, just, it's only one person, isn't it? Yeah. It's not what the people are saying. Um, what the people are saying is what you get on Facebook or, or you get on, you know, 
you know you know on like twitter or whatever it is it's interesting the one thing with streaming the one good thing well obviously accessibility to all music is one good thing but as you say you can actually see what your most listened to songs are well yeah which is quite interesting isn't it to have access to that as an artist to go oh i would have never thought that that would have been as popular as it is let's get that in the set well we've only recently got actually most of our stuff up on there because it um um, our, our label Echo the head of Echo didn't want us to do any spot of my stuff he was like totally against it and I know there was all the stuff about you know the all, obviously all the Radiohead thing and all that kind of stuff but I was always quite happy for it to be up there because I wanted people to hear our music because I think it's a great way of you know introducing bands like ourselves to the new generation of kids out there and I think we are starting to do that already you know you come to our gigs it's so diverse we've got you know, it's a bit. You know, obviously mentioned Fee Fighters again. God, they're getting a good plug, aren't they? <laughs> My God, as if they have enough album, concrete and gold yeah, out now. Exactly, as if they have enough publicity already. Um, it's that's right. Um, at least they're a good band. It's um, uh, it, it, yeah. It's it's it, it, well, I think it's sort of. Um, I think that we're very fortunate that somehow even there's this new generation of people coming to our shows, and I'm talking like really young kids who maybe have been part of the feeder family growing up where the mums and dads have been fans and they and you know that happens it's quite sweet really you know we get the sort of feeder family comes to your shows you've got the indie kids you know they still play some of our songs at indie rock nights so you sort of you know we get asked here to play uni gigs still i mean it's and then we've got the diehard feeder fans and we've got some really old people who are into rock who come to our shows as well i mean it's it's an amazing um kind of mix of age and people that come to our shows and i feel really fortunate i mean so obviously we've done something right because you don't see that very often, you know. And a lot of our contemporaries, you know, I've been to a few of their gigs and it's a much older audience and some of the bands are younger than us. I'm thinking, well, how are we, how are we doing it? Is it because the, they, they, is it because of the melodies? Is, is it something they hear in the music? Is it, is it, is it streaming? Is it, is it YouTube? I don't know, but it's something because, um, I've noticed it even even more so, even, and even you know even at festivals, I'm, you know, got kids sort of singing along, you know, "Where's the High." It's like, I mean, how would they know that song? You know, it came out a long time ago, twenty so, years this year, right? But what I'm saying is true. You know, I'm not saying that. You know, of course, if you go to go and see like Hannah play, of you know, obviously it's going to be a younger audience, but you'll but you'll see people, you know, in the front row at that show that you'll also see at a feeder gig, and I think that's quite extraordinary. It's encouraging. It makes me. It makes me feel youthful. <laughs> There's it wind means, in the sail, my friend. It, there it means I can still keep sail. wearing my Vans and my Converse and not feel like some <laughs> sad old, you know, nineties, you know, grunge kid, whatever. But, so the uh, new record is this out now? It's out on Friday. It's out, so it'll be out by the time this bad boy okay, goes so out. So yeah, out the best now, of so just out now. That's fine. That's no, right. no, I always say that I do these in advance. That's all right. Um, and you've got a huge arena tour in March next year, right? Is well, it an arena well, we're tour? tour? No, we're doing uh, Biggest is Brixham Academy. Uh, what we thought was, uh, well, let's see where we are because we've been away a while. We're sort of building back up again. We've had an amazing summer of festivals. I mean, seriously, it's like been one of our busiest sort of summers and we've done some really nice festivals. Um, there's a few that we didn't do, which is great, so it means we can do those next year. So our plan is to do the tour in March. Well, first of all, we're going to um, uh, Japan to do six shows, and then we've got the tour in March in the UK, maybe some stuff in Europe, and then festivals, and then we're going to see where we go from there, really. Um, you know, we decided to not try and go too big too soon. We just want to see, see kind of just kind of test the, test the water. It's the smart play. I mean, Brixton's, yeah, I mean, those gigs are brilliant. I mean, to be honest with you, yeah, of course. 
if, if we got off the like arena at all, yeah, you know, we're going to do it. But hand on heart, I get much more of a buzz playing, you know, places like Brixton. They're just great. A few venues. academy venues. If you're a yeah. punter coming to a gig at Brixton, it's so much better than going to an arena gig. It's just, it's just got. I a think vibe. it's the best venue in the UK. It's I got a it. vibe. I mean, it's still five thousand people. Yeah, yeah. So if we end up doing two nights there, that's basically like doing Wembley Arena anyway. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of, and I think it's better for the fans as well. You know, um, it's great to say you can do arenas, but I don't think they're the best place to see a rock band. Or always, you know, not. I don't know. There's, there's an intimacy that that you lose when you get past a certain size. I'm, I'm sure my manager might say, <laughs> "Now let's do the arenas." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and as you say, you would if it got to that level. And it well, was no, offered, I mean, but... there is some talk about doing something. I think we're going to see how it goes. I mean, we've got a lot of plans. So there's a lot of stuff. Even after being you know, doing this for over 25 years, we haven't done a lot of really obvious things that you would have thought we would have done. This is our first actual best of. You know, singles. You know, okay. You know, it's not called best of. I think yeah. most bands who've been going for as long as we have have probably done three best ofs by now. I mean, I mean, I think the Manics have done what? How many? They've done a few. I think Ash had done some. I think you know. I'm sure Stereophonics have done a couple of best ofs. I don't think we're. I, I don't think we're overcooking things by just doing. You know, um, we haven't ever done a live album, ever. Uh, we've got enough B sides to release another B side album. We're going to be making another feeder album as well. That's the, that's that's probably going to be the next step. So like a new record after this. Don't know when, um, but hopefully. Um, I've already started writing some stuff, so that that could be maybe start that end of next year, maybe. So next I mean, year is going to be a nice busy year for you. I think it will be. I mean, this year's been quite busy, but I think uh, I think what's nice about doing doing best ofs is there's still people that kind of know the band but don't know that we did those songs. It's yeah, bizarre, yeah, yeah. but it's true, and they're often people that maybe don't listen to you know you know to you know to like radio all the time or don't read copies of whatever it is. So unless they, you know, unless they actually see a TV ad or see a copy of the album in the supermarket, whatever it is, they don't sort of know that the album's out. And I think also, um, I think what I'm trying to say is that doing best of joins a lot of dots up for a band like Feeder. And it's like a reminder of what we've done, not to, you know, to ourselves included. Mm, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I think it feels like a really good time to be doing this. I'm always nervous about doing these kind of things. I don't want people to think like, well, we're just doing it for the money. It's just, hopefully the fact that we've got nine new tracks, you know, it's got, it comes basically with a new album called Arrow. Um, is proof of that and showing that we always want to still, yeah, of course, this is, a, this is like a celebration of 25 years of singles, but it's also about us moving forward as a band. And, you know, we will always try and you know you know write you know write and create like the best music that we can for as long as we have that kind of spark you know that's what it's all about for me anyway nice well thank you for having me over to your house dude i love it well the house is my little uh it's, it's my kind the of the tree house it looks like it looks like a kind of sauna doesn't it it does it actually does i thought when we were it's walking like, up here i was like here I we know, go i know some guy i didn't bring my towel came around the other day he goes is that a sauna in the back garden i said that's my studio how dare you <laughs> but it's been a really good space um i don't actually i actually do most of the writing in the kitchen and then i come in and do the recording do the recording yeah, Otherwise, yeah. I think, well the know, kitchen's think, a nice space too it is and what was great about this place is when you know the kids were really young i could be i could sort of leave and they're like crawling around I could see them so I yeah, could get yeah, all yeah. my vocal take and I'd have to run in if I saw them but uh, no it's been um, it's been a really good space and it's been a very um, you know worthwhile thing actually having this room 
um, you know, you know, there's been some magic has happened here along the, you know, along the, you know, sort of over the past sort of four or five years. I can vibe it. Yeah, well, it's ten years old now. This studio is it? Yeah. And you got your Kerrang Award there. I've got my Kerrang Harmonicas. Award. Yeah, there's there's there's, there's a few. <laughs> and pedals galore. Look at that. Yeah, I've got. Oh god, that's not even. That's not even. That's not even the tip got, of the mate, iceberg. There's there's about four boxes in there, and I've got all my. Well, I mean, I've got all my pedal board in the locker. That's just stuff I pull off. That's just basic stuff, and they all get used as well. Sort of various times. This is all full of pedals as well. This this the cabinet. Yeah, um, I can't get any more guitars on the wall. I'm sort of running out of space. <laughs> I just chatted to Andy Carnes from Therapy yesterday oh, I know, I think, yeah. at the Gibson Studios, and he's like, I've been warned by my wife to not come home with any more fucking guitars because <laughs> he said yeah. he's just overtaken too much space and he's getting in trouble. If you see uh, how many I've got in my locker, <laughs> it's quite it's it's quite impressive. Um, this is probably about as many as I can keep at home, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, but actually, when I'm recording, I tend to use two, two or three guitars. I'm not one of these people that takes them all to the studio. I, I think it's almost like a distraction to have too many. I know what I've sort of learned, you know what, you know what I need from them, and I, I've sort of had my two or three favourites, and they tend to sort of be. All and I'm guessing take. that's this one that, and this one right here, is, right? They're the on, two that look it, the most worn. That is on everything. That's that's the '59 Jazz Master. That's my baby. That's probably the most used um, feeder recording guitar. Um, Certainly since sort of comfort and sound onwards anyway. Um, didn't, uh, I, I don't think I could afford that on the first record. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but they all get used, you know. Um, nice. All right, Grant. All right, well, thanks well, for let's, the interview. Um, let's wrap it there. Is that all right? You enjoy that? Is it all right? Yeah, no, it's good. I think, I mean, it's good just to waffle on, isn't it? Yeah. That's I like the, the free-form conversation. Way. That's kind of the so way I like fun. to approach yeah, it. Yeah. Then Q A Q A Q A. Yeah. Well, hopefully, uh, <laughs> hopefully people won't get too depressed after listening. To no, no, it was good. It was really insightful. Um, and yeah, congratulations on everything. And yeah, look cheers. Forward well, to seeing to, what comes next. It's good to still be doing it. You know, I'm still enjoying it. And uh, you know, the really good vibe in the band at the moment. We've got you know, we've got a great live band, top, you know, a top bunch of guys. Um, you know, great crew. It just makes it so much more fun, you know, when it or you know when you have that. It's, yeah, for sure. It, it has to be that. Yeah. I, th- I think you can tell when bands are having fun, um, and I think that's and, that is, and when they're not, and when they're not. And I think that's a massive. <laughs> and I think I've got to a point now where uh, I'm at the age where I thought this has got to be fun. You know, it's uh, you know, music can be the fountain of youth if it, if you enjoy it. You know. <laughs> Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.